Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We are here once more again, as usual. We have an episode. Yeah, we do. It's me, it's Grant. I'm here with uh, Jake, J Money. It's me. I'm here with... uh, Mitch. Mitch Mitch is here, too. Mitchell. Yeah, Mitch. Mitchell. Um, Yeah, so, okay. Last week, we had a little bit of a bebop and a round episode, you know? We were just kind of having a good old time. That was because we were reading. Because we were reading yes, a lot. we were researching for this topic that will certainly be the biggest, most intense topic we've ever covered so far. Yeah, and thus that far. is, uh, we're going to take you out to Utah by the Mormons. We're going to get into a little place called Skinwalker Ranch. It's true. It's true. This is, we. This is the actually the uh, the topic that we wanted to start the podcast with. Which true. We honestly we like decided that's what made us want to start. We decided it was far. It was too much. But this time, when we, since we had time, since we did the other, the podcast last week with a little relaxed fit, sort yeah, of thing. Uh, we got time to read "Hunt for a Skinwalker," "Hunt for the Skinwalker." Yeah, by Doctor Colm Kelleher and oh, yeah. George Knapp. George Knapp, who you'll Science be confronts the unexplained. At uh, a remote ranch in Utah. You might be familiar with Mr. George Knapp as the occasional fill-in host of Coast to Coast. Uh, that's where you know. That's where I first heard of him. He does a good job. He's an interesting man. And uh, he knows probably more about Skinwalker Ranch than I think anyone ever. Literally ever. Yeah. That guy, he does he it all. Probably good he wrote the book. Well, he, you know, yeah, you yeah, no. I wouldn't want to read the book written by me because uh, I did. I don't know where I'd get that information. I would just get distracted, start writing about. I don't know. Nude the podcast. Buffalo. Nude Buffalo. Nude Buffalo. Wow, that's what I'd write about. But yeah, so we're gonna take you guys out uh, to the Uinta or Yunta Basin, as it's so uh, righteously called, out here in um, Utah, the nice little area. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, yeah. yeah. The Colorado Plateaus province. Didn't know that was a thing until right now. But and that's it's in where Utah. it is. What the, what, what is with that? Yeah, it's true. That's oh, so ridiculous. Yeah, so, Jake, why don't you start us off with just a little, uh, what, what, what is this basin? Eh? What, what is it? What are we working with here? What, what's happening in this 
this, I don't know, this faction of the world. Uh, well, all right. So it, it kind of goes back, like you were saying, like Mormons, right? right. Ah, yes. Yeah. When the basin was first uh, scouted by Mormons, and that was in like the 1860s or so, uh, the the scouts went back to Brigham Young and said, basically, it's not suitable for settlement. Uh, they said it was a vast uh, contiguity of waste, uh, valueless, except for nomadic purposes, hunting grounds for Indians, and hold to hold the world together. So and basically it's only is, good for the land that it really is. Then, then as soon as they heard that the Indians liked this land, they said we have to have it. Basically. Yeah. yeah it's That's been, where it happens. And it has been inhabited by... Uh, by Native Americans for apparently twelve thousand years. Yeah, supposedly. yeah, fifteen generations is what I is yeah. what I've heard. What they say, it's and, a lot uh, of fucking generations. Yeah, it's many generations, and supposedly, um, as we all might have expected, the Mormons aren't very reliable because it's actually pretty beautiful and like great there. Very yeah, lush very with trees and uh, open, lots of a lot of canyons and mountains. Yeah. They were probably so used to it, it's just like oh, more. More forests and canyons and More of the same nonsense. That's all the world was back then, was forests with houses in them. It's like, all I see is mud. That's fucking what the world is. <laughs> yeah, but so, um, uh, yeah, Native Americans have been there for a while. Beautiful place. Mormons didn't like it. But uh, in 1861, Abe Lincoln made the Uinta Basin uh, the Ute Reservation. And they and were that promised stuck around for a while. Yeah, yeah, not for a while. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Actually, they were promised the land for all time, but then they uh, some large deposits of hydrocarbon or um, gilsonite. Yeah, that's what it's known as. Uh, they were discovered there in, and due to that, by the 1880s, many white settlers were moving there to profit from it. Yep. Yep, like, that, that resembles humanity. Yeah. Gilsonite, it's used for, like, paints and varnishes and, like, uh, and like insulating material. Yeah, lacquer, that kind of thing. So, yeah. So, immediately after they were promised that land for all time, people started coming in and trying to uh, get all that stuff. And uh, 7,000 of the acres of the land, uh, they were declared later on in the 1880s. They were declared by Congress to be public domain, and the youths were given $20 uh, per acre. Yeah. So that's and that's not a lot. Yeah, and similar to the Fort Dearborn Massacre, those that were angry and didn't want to comply were essentially forced into it, and they were given liquor. Yeah. It was just like, here, have some booze. Yeah, Take people this. who didn't want it, they were like, you want some whiskey? Dan? Whatever your name is. Runs with bull? Yeah, <laughs> here's some liquor. But, uh, yeah, so eventually a new reservation was declared uh, right next to the old one to house the displaced Utes. And uh, those who were, they were actually considered hostile by that time because, you know, well, lots of, yeah. lots of bad deals going on That here. just makes sense. I'd be, I'd be hostile. Yeah, right? Yeah. It led the U.S. military to establish a uh, an outpost nearby called Fort... All right, I think this is called Fort Duchesne, but what did you say it was pronounced? Duchenne. Duchenne? Mm-hmm. Mm. I'll look it up. I don't know. I'll man. look up the pronunciation. I think it's Duchesne, but Fort Duchenne or Duchesne, that was set up because the Utes uh, were considered hostile. Uh, put in charge there in 1886 was Major Frederick uh, Benteen. Or Benton, maybe? But it's two E's, so I think it's a Benteen. 
he was yeah, and he was accompanied by seventy five African American soldiers, known by the Utes as Buffalo Soldiers, which just makes mm. me think of Bob Marley. Yes, it is. Is it is it Duchenne? Duchenne. Damn it, Duchenne. Duchesne just sounds so much more fun. Duchesne. Yeah, it does sound a little bit of fun. I don't know, but Duchenne, yeah. So, yeah, Major Frederick Benteen, he uh, he brought 75 African-American soldiers there with him. And uh, Indians knew him as Buffalo Soldiers. And they actually got that name uh, during the Indian Wars of the late 1800s, where 20% of the uh, the military at the time was buff- were Buffalo Soldiers. And supposedly... Uh, the Indians called the African-American soldiers that because they thought their hair and skin resembled that of the buffalo. Yeah. And they were they thought they were just like, oh, they're badass, dude. Let's give them a cool name. But yeah. Uh, so basically, they got a new reservation. And on the old one, uh, because it was considered uh, public domain and not a lot of law enforcement was going on there, a lot of brothels and saloons were uh, built in there. And that's where the miners, uh, the soldiers, and the Utes all drank and congregated. So they're just partying out in this basin. It's a good time. Uh, Many structures were actually built atop of Buffalo Soldiers' burial sites. Which is kind of disrespectful, wouldn't you say? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I'd say disrespectful. I mean, it is in the sense... But then when you look at it historically, it's almost just revenge. Yeah. Because that's what happened to all of their burial grounds, was people built things on it. It's very, it's very So it was ironic. their, you know, backslap of like, well, your people are dead, so we're going to live here now. Yeah. One little uh, bit of information that kind of goes on top um, of that. A lot of the uh, Buffalo soldiers were known to be Freemasons. Yes. Which yes, is very strange. Interesting, right? Similar to, uh, I also didn't know, FDR was a Freemason. Yeah. The highest ranking Freemason. 33? 33, man? Indeed he was. Did not know that. I didn't know that either. That's awesome. But yeah, and uh, and many believe that Freemasons um, are in touch with some sort of mystical or supernatural abilities. A lot of conspiracy theorists like have that that belief. They're an easy target. Yeah. They, they think they're Satanists. Satanists, something like that. Yeah. Well, more like mystics. Things, yeah, things having to do with. Pa- they're pagans, paganistic sorts of things, and just non-Christian, you know. Even though it is Christian, theoretically, yeah. but people don't want to associate it with that. There's too, too, much, too, sense. too much sense being Sorry. made. <laughs> it's totally fine, dude. Um, but yeah, so uh, a lot of these Buffalo Soldiers were Masons, and uh, a lot of structures were built on their graves, so who knows what could come of that. I do, I do. Yeah, yeah. So many, uh, so because all these brothels and saloons were going on, uh, there, was a, there was one particular place where there was a, a lot of these, and a nearby river, uh, so many whiskey bottles and bottles just from the saloon, because they have no place to put them, uh, they were piling up and everything, so they're just like, you know, let's just chuck them in this river. Uh, and there were so many bottles in there that it is it got to be known as Bottle Hollow, and it's still called that. It is. Yeah. There's even a resort built down there now. Really? Yeah, it was built in, let me find the exact year, 1968. That's delightful. Yeah. I would love to go. Bottle Hollow Resort. Bottle Hollow Resort. Bottle Hollow. Oh, it's a fun word. Bottle Hollow. It's like Valhalla or Valhalla. 
What does that mean? Uh, yeah. I'm for the Vikings. I'm not a Marth. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, apparently, uh, in Bottle Hollow, there are legends of uh, giant serpent uh, beings. That uh, a lot of, yeah, a lot of, they're said to dwell there. And a lot of accounts of uh, people getting pulled under. Yeah, I, I like, believe, didn't an un- young Indian woman die? Yeah, and they yeah said she that got she like, she, yeah, pulled in? she waded out into there, and then, like, there were many witnesses on shore, and uh, some guy went out to try to save her, and before she he could, like, get her free, she drowned. Yeah. And, like, many people were just like, yeah. Big snakes. Yeah, that's what fucking happened. You don't mess with big snakes. You don't mess with big anythings. Big snakes, especially. Snakes are fucking scary. But also, uh, strange lights have been seen entering and exiting the waters. Isn't that fucking weird? Just orbs. Orbs of light. Yeah. Just going in and, like, dunking in down, you know? Dunking down in there. Maybe they're in bottles. But uh, these <laughs> these things hollow are... Bottles. Hollow bottles. There we go. Bottle hollow. But uh, these things have been happening, like, so frequently and... Uh, Pretty continuously, even up until uh, 2002, a man claimed that he saw um, light bluish orbs that uh, emerged from the waters of Bottle Hollow, and they floated Swamp off. Gas. They floated off towards uh, what we are about to be talking about: Skinwalker Ranch, otherwise known as Sherman Ranch. Ooh, we will. So yeah, they uh, attracted to this ranch but uh one final thing to attribute to the buffalo soldier aspect of this basin on skinwalker ridge which is just like a geological feature of the basin um there is a carving that was discovered by the main character of this here tale uh well one of the main guys right tom gorman yeah and that's a pseudonym but why yeah, not the real name is uh terry and gwen sherman those are the the individuals that would later purchase the ranch in '94, yeah. but but for the purposes of telling the story, we'll just yeah, keep it the pseudonym. Because when the book was written, their name was still kept confidential, so their pseudonyms were Ted and Ooh, Alan, yeah. Ted and Alan Gorman, it's Tom, Tom. Sorry, Tom yeah, no, and the Ellen. son is Tad. I Tad. always forget Yeah, the son two. is Tad. Yeah, for some reason, and the, they they never gave the son's name like a real name. Only the wife and husband, and yeah. this was years after all there was, this happened. Yeah, and there was also a daughter in the family, but she is never mentioned in any of the sightings or um, occurrences yeah. that are mentioned in the book. We don't know if she was, like, too young to be, con- I don't know, considered or something, but... Yeah, so don't get yeah. confused if we switch names. Terry and Gwen are the same... As B- Tom and Ellen. Yes, but we're uh, going to be we're gonna saying do Tom, Tom and, and Ellen. Ellen. That's what I'm more familiar so with. So anyway, yeah, yeah. But um, so on Skinwalker Ranch, uh, Skinwalker Ridge, I believe, uh, which is a right by Skinwalker Ranch, uh, geological feature in the basin, there is a carving that was discovered by Tom Gorman that was examined uh, by a scientific team and found to be a uh, Masonic symbol that was carved over 100 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. which gives... Uh, Credence to the thought that maybe the Masons and all them and the Utes were uh, hanging out around the uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Indeed, indeed. But the basin nowadays—it's—it's uh, it's mainly just made up of ranchers, farmers, and people mining for the riches, uh, the natural resources. Uh, it's ninety percent Mormon, so it's very heavy Mormon populations. About ten percent Ute, the Ute tribe, 
and it's now known as Dinosaur Country due to the oil deposits that were uncovered there in the 1950s. There you go. That's a little history of the basin where this ranch is. Indeed it is. So, um, as you can imagine, we're going to get into some strange, strange, strange things. Yeah. One of the main things I didn't necessarily mention here was that the Uinta Basin, uh, since the 1950s, it's known as one of the most like highly trafficked UFO sightings in the world. Oh, yeah, we'll get to the, that. The thousands of UFO sightings have been reported there. We will get to that. Um, so kind of a hotbed. I mean, obviously, this goes back generations, as we've said, but the first official, 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 official sighting was in the year 1776. And there is some, like, speculation about this, but well, yeah. it, it was, you know... It was it's really just written back. in, like, historical reports. Yeah. There's no... Genuine, like, footage, obviously. But um, there was a man, Father Escalante. He was out on an expedition uh, out west, and he was in the Uinta Basin. When, uh, in the year 1776, he writes of a massive fireball that flew through the sky. So there's that. Isn't that crazy? And this story was uncovered a little bit later on by a man named uh, Junior Hicks. Yeah. Who uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about him because he he's a little bit of a he's an interesting ass character. Okay, yeah. and a, just a little something about the fireballs in the sky. A lot of people describe them as like hay bales that look like they've just been set on fire that are just shooting through the sky like rockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's very interesting. So, um, Junior Hicks, he was a local and. Um, in the 1950s, he had seen a cigar-shaped UFO, and he was not alone. There were about 30 students that witnessed the same event occur with him. And this piqued his interest after he talked to all the students individually, and they all said the same thing, essentially. They all saw the same object. Yeah. And that was when he realized something fishy is going on here, okay? Something weird's happening. So... He took it upon himself in his free time to start interviewing other locals about these things. And after a while, he had, well, not a while, a couple of years, he had compiled a list of over 1,600 accounts of people reporting these things. And then he went through all of these, whittled them down, and ended up with a list of 400 credible and unexplained reports of UFOs, lights in the sky, fireballs, whatever yeah. you may have. It was uh, the 400 that he whittled down from the 1600. Those were actual sightings of like physical yeah. things, not just lights in the sky. It's like I saw like a craft yeah, and like some shit happened. So this guy, he's getting a lot of uh, credible things coming out of it. Um, and th- they're coming even from people that live on reservations. They're saying these things, they're talking about it. And then... Um, he actually finds out that uh, during the 1960s, there were so many reports of these UFOs that the police actually stopped uh, writing official reports on them because not only could they not keep up with it, there was nothing that they could do about it. So they just stopped reporting them altogether. They were taking the calls and just saying, well, what? I don't know what you want. Like, you, Essentially, I, mean, I don't know what you want from us. Yeah, you don't want extra paperwork at the end of the day. So they had to stop doing that because everything was just kind of going batshit crazy. Uh, so Junior Hicks, he did not give up. Um, 
he continued uh, on his search for truth, I guess as you would call it. And um, there was after a while, he was talking to people that lived on the reservation, and he learned of something that uh, not many people knew about at the time, and even now, it's I mean it's a little bit more common, but it's still on the hush hush. And that would be the titular Skinwalker legend. Mm-hmm. So what this is, this is a Native American, I guess you would call it folklore or curse, perhaps? I don't know. I believe it, the origins of it say it's a curse. Yeah, a curse would yeah. sound better. So what it would be is a human being, um, you would essentially, you typically it's a loved one, like a relative, uh, brother, sister, mother, father, you uh, the human being would kill a loved relative, um, have sex with the corpse, and then eat the corpse. And with that would come the power of the skinwalker, which would let you assume the identity of an animal. And this kind of plays into the idea of werewolves, things like that, lycanthrope, like or lycanthropy. Lycanthropy, nice. Yeah, but you can be any sort of animal. Yeah, you can change as, into as whatever. a skinwalker. You just got to choose. And the legend has it that you would assume the agility and all of the abilities that the animal would have, and you have the ability to shapeshift in and out of this creature. Yeah. So when he found out about this, he started asking questions. And the youths uh, actually got very upset because... They don't talk about it to outsiders. Uh, outsiders actually aren't even supposed to know about the legend of the Skinwalker. Yeah. Because it is, it's a typically very close-held uh, tradition of the Utes and other Native American tribes. And a big reason why they, uh, they're so reluctant to talk to outsiders about this is because oftentimes they, they just don't know. Like, if, if someone comes up as an outsider and asks about Skinwalkers... They believe that there's a higher chance of them actually being a skinwalker, and like, so they don't want to interact yes. with them. You know, like, because why would they know about this? The legend also says that if you know that someone is a skinwalker, they either have to kill you or the skinwalker will die. Yeah, because no one can know that they are a skinwalker. So there's that. Um, and then through a little bit more pressing and information, Junior Hicks found out that. It was believed that right outside of the Gorman property, which I believe technically lies in the 480 acres, um, is something called the Devil's Canyon. And that is where the Utes believed uh, the skinwalkers to live. Yeah, it's known as, uh, like, basically a lot of people say that uh, the property goes through the path of the skinwalker. Yeah. And he tried for many, many, many years to get into the Devil's Canyon and was never granted access, never allowed in, simply because he was an outsider and no one goes there. That's off limits to everybody. So we don't do that. So there's a little background. Uh, there, just throughout From 1776, probably even previous to that, up until the 90s when the story really begins, there are thousands upon thousands, probably even hundreds of thousands of reports of just the weirdest shit you can imagine yeah, it's, yeah, it's not just UFOs. It's not just skinwalkers. Uh, it's Bigfoot. Bigfoot is here too. Yeah, and that's like that kind of crosses over because like a lot of the uh, the natives, the Utes, say just like, all right, that that's either the real Bigfoot or 
that is a skinwalker pretending to be Bigfoot. Yeah, exactly. And either way, that's it's Bigfoot. So like shit what? Just got crazy. <laughs> it's like what the hell? It, but, yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, and uh, another thing that um, that I found from like Junior Hicks, he found like some uh, common traits or just like just some aspects of uh, the UFOs mm-hmm. things. Going back to it, uh, he said that they ranged from twenty to thirty feet to a hundred yards. These crafts being seen. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, so like an entire football field. But they range from being circular, uh, oval shaped, cigar shaped, or just triangular. There was actually one case in the '60s where a uh, a large UFO was seen. It was like triangular, and it was seen by like so many people. Like apparently lawyers, bankers, ranchers, all kinds of these people, and uh, a uh, local uh, Native American apparently took a shot at it with a rifle. And the ricochet of it off of the ship was heard by mounds of people. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. In the 60s. Mm-hmm. So this leads us to the ranch itself. Uh, this is... We're going to go into the homestead. And there is one interesting little thing that I would like to mention here. John and Emma Myers, in 1905, build the homestead on what would be the Skinwalker Ranch, the Gorman Ranch. Um, And there was really not a whole lot of strange activity. They did say that one time in 1915, uh, a strange man came out of nowhere and knocked on the door and asked for a glass of water. And uh, they said that his uh, he was wearing, like, completely appropriate attire, but then underneath that was a shimmering blue skin-tight suit. Ooh. And they just found that a little bit odd. Um, so in the 60s, the children take over. Uh, the Myers children take over. And then in 1994, Tom and Ellen, Ellen yes. purchase the property and move from New Mexico. Yeah, because they were in a small town, and apparently that was too many people for them. So mm-hmm. they wanted to get out and just be isolated, you know. They were uh, cattle ranchers. They wanted to just keep to themselves. Now, Tom was a cattle farmer, and he was very good at his job. He was excellent uh, with animal husbandry. Yeah, they did artificial insemination. Oh, yeah, he was a pro. Um, And what I also found interesting was that I guess this was typical uh, during the cattle farm or in the cattle farm community that uh, about a 10% loss of cattle in a given year was seen as reasonable and fair just due to conditions and illness and things yeah. you can't avoid. But not for these guys. No, Tom took it very personally. He kept his under 5%, and any time a cattle that he owned would die or anything like that, he would essentially take it very personally and get very upset that he didn't do his job properly. It's like, I'm failing at my husbandry. Yes. So this leads us to, I would say, probably the most... Uh, talked about story on the ranch this was day one this, they, they're there this is 1994 they come oh, yeah. in there's some spooky shit now there were a few small calves in uh, a pen they were there uh he left them out because you know he got there he didn't bring any of his big prized animals yet because he no, was still kind of yeah they just on. got the property they haven't even set up their beds yet so they're all standing in the yard they're all just kind of taking in their property when off in the distance about 60 yards away they see a wolf. Um, from a distance, it, it piques their interest a little bit because 
it looks at them, they're looking at it, and it isn't scared off, nothing's really happening, and it appears very large, like yeah. a, much larger like than from that far wolf. away. They're just like, holy shit. So they're, they kind of, not pay it no mind, but they're kind of just like, this is strange. And it slowly gets closer, now it's about 30 yards in, they see, they really start to see how large it is. Uh, they actually said that if t- uh, Tom said if he was standing next to it, it would be up to about his chest, yeah. just standing on all fours. And That's this, how big yeah. this thing was. And this thing is just nonchalantly trotting up. Yeah, like it's he's just no problem, just coming. It's up. just walking up, and um, apparently he had piercing blue eyes as yes. well. And all of the calves that were in the pen uh, backed into the corner. They, you know, just a reaction out of a predator. There's a predator approaching. You're going to back off. Except one. They they didn't know. Maybe he didn't notice it or he just wasn't paying attention. And um, he's, the, he's, the, he's the crazy calf. His head was right through the fence, kind of poking out and looking. And the wolf, uh, after a few minutes, it comes very, very close. Uh, close enough to where the Gorman family could pet this thing. Yeah, they were petting it. They were like they were considering making it a pet of theirs. And they, they were, were just like, should we keep this guy? And they thought it was so strange because wolves don't do this. Wolves are typically not this tame and they don't really come around people that often unless they're attacking. They're yeah. not walking around. Like, yeah, meat eaters are not very docile usually. So what happens here is um it goes up to the pen and it clenches onto the calf's head with its teeth. Like and lightning it, quick, apparently. Yeah, and it's trying to pry it through the fence of the pen. So they're standing outside. Tom's like, no, 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 this is not okay. Like, that's mine. So he yells to his son, Tad, and he says, Tad, go get the go get the gun. So Tad runs outside, hands him the magnum, magnum revolver. And meanwhile, Tom is kicking this thing in the ribs like oh, yeah. as hard as he can. No, he's kicking it, no in, reaction. Like, while he's getting the gun for him, yeah. Then point blank range, Tom aims the gun, shoots it right in the top of the chest. I, well, I guess that'd be the chest or the back. The I, uh, I'm thinking of wolf a human. anatomy. Yeah, it'd be a back. Yeah. The back of the wolf. His torso. Uh, nothing. Nothing happens. The thing doesn't With a 357 react. Three fifty seven Magnum. Right? Yeah, the thing does not react. Uh, he's still kicking it. Tad is now kicking it. Uh, he shoots it again. Nothing happens. It doesn't blink. It doesn't move. It doesn't stop. This is like, what the hell's going on? He shoots it one more time. Nothing happens. So he starts kicking it, and he says, Tad, run in the house, get the 30-odd six. We're, th- this is happening now. We're doing it now. And that shit is for, like, hunting elk from, like, two football fields away. Oh, yeah. One-shot kills. Like, that thing is crazy. Yeah. 30-odd sixes are not to be trifled with. Tom actually, it's funny you say it because he actually shot an elk from about 230 yards away, clean through the chest, and killed it with one shot with that very gun. Yeah, there you go. So Tad runs out. It's still The wolf still has this calf locked in its jaw, and Tad throws the gun to Tom. Tom cocks it, aims it right at the wolf, point-blank range, shoots it. Nothing really happens. The Absolutely kinda, nothing happens once more. The wolf is just doing his thing. He shoots it one more time. This time, the wolf recoils a little bit. They noticed, like, a thick chunk of fur flew off. Yeah, because it, theoretically, it's going through the wolf, and this time, it pretty much just got yeah. a chunk of it, and it flew off. So it backs up a couple feet, and it just, just looks at him again. It's not down, it's not whimpering, it's not screaming, it's just standing there. And they're like, what the hell is this? 
So then eventually he keeps shooting at its direction, trying to scare it off, and it eventually it doesn't scare off, it just kind of scampers away. It scampers away just as casually as it showed up. So now this thing's disappearing. Uh, Ted, or Tad, sorry, not Ted. Yeah. And the Ted, family is terrified. Oh, yeah, they're like, all freaking like out. Ellen is freaking out. Tad and Tom chase it. They're chasing after this thing. They're, yeah, they're running through the pasture. At this point. And they follow it uh, about two miles uh, through the woods, over hills, through the canyons. Yeah. Boom. They finally, or they're cornering in on it. He's a tracker. He sees the footprints yeah. in the mud. He's like, we're getting close. There's about there's a riverbank coming up a couple hundred feet with about a 60-foot gap between bank to bank. Yeah. So he's like, we have it stopped. There's nowhere it can go. And about 30 feet before the edge of the river, the footprints stop. There's nothing. Uh, there's no possible way that this animal could jump over the river that'd be a 90 foot jump yeah especially from there and then like the uh the riverbed was pretty much mud yeah the the impressions were going down like six eight inches and they just stop 30 feet before anything like there's absolutely no way so this is strange in and of itself they don't know what to do and they walk back to the house tom is furious livid and scared of what essentially what's going through his mind is what the hell was that yeah this is day one on the ranch like we've put everything into this house what do we do he's looking at tad tad's freaking out and and tom has no explanation so he's like let's uh let's go back yeah he is just fuming i just think it's crazy how tom you know before they even had a weapon he was kicking this thing in the ribs. Yeah, yeah. How insane! Dude, how ballsy is Tom, dude? He, he's a rancher, dude. He's he, got that. Uh, he's got the that. Wolf, the wolf was up, like the height of the wolf was up to his chest. You said, "Yep." It's he's nuts. like, dude. He like, doesn't yeah. care. They're coming after his profit, dude. He you trusts know, his family. His that's that's why he has such high standards for himself. So on the way back, all these thoughts began racing through his head because. Something we did not mention yet, there were a couple things that seemed off about the house from the get-go that never really came to his mind until now. Yeah. Um, the original contract of the house says that uh, before any digging can be done on the property, uh, the Gormans must notify the previous owners, which... Seems a little strange. Dude, I they would, didn't really yeah, question it. I would just immediately think a Gacy situation. Yeah, yeah. Like, what the hell? And then um, in the house, every cupboard, every drawer, every closet, every door had <laughs> That dead... was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> they all had deadbolts on the inside and outside of the door, the cupboard, and whatever I said. Everything. Everything from a kitchen cabinet to a bathroom sink they all had uh, locks on the inside and outside. Yeah. And th- all this kind of came into his mind while he's walking back, just thinking, what the hell did I buy? You know, yeah. like, what I- what is this? There were also, uh, near both, like, of the entrances, there were um, chain links for uh, large dogs that the previous owners had, and they, yep. like, posted up by each of the entrances. Mm-hmm. So they're like, what are these people afraid of? This is, like, a 480-acre farm? Yeah, 480 ranch. Acres. Yeah. It's just like what what are they afraid of coming in here? So now we're going I'm going to talk about Ellen for a couple minutes here. Uh there's actually two good encounters with Ellen and the first one is very simple. Ellen's crazy. Um 
Ellen, she would bring in groceries, and as she was putting them away, they would disappear and magically reappear in places that they really shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, for example, she'd be, you know, she'd set down the grocery bag, and she would move the eggs, and you know, oh, I'm gonna go put these in the refrigerator. And while she did that, the bag of apples would be gone. And then later that day, she'd open the microwave. The bag of apples would be in the microwave. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. No one's in the house except her. Why would that happen? There was one instance where she put everything away and then turned back, like turned away, turned back around, and it was all just on the table again. Yes, yes, yes. It, she just thought she was losing her fucking mind. Um, and while this was going on, she didn't say anything because she just thought, well, you know, kind of, I guess, started, denial yeah. in a sense. She started having like very real concerns about her memory. Oh yeah. She was like, I. This is terrible. Like, I'm my health is declining. And luckily for her health, uh, Tom was. <laughs> <laughs> luckily for her health, Tom was experiencing it's just real. <laughs> the same thing. There was a big mechanical machine. Uh, at, well, it was for. It was a pole driver. Yeah, it was, it was like for it was putting the poles it was a, in the a ground. Post, a post, post driver. driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for uh, for fences. And, post pole digger. digger. You got it. Either Mitch, one. Thank you. Mitch is the uh, is the, the blue collar. Yeah, guy you're the here. technical guy. Uh, so the post hole digger, he had leaned it up against the fence, and uh, he went in the house to get something to drink. When he came out, he immediately ran back into the house screaming and swearing and red in the face and just, ugh, ugh. He is pissed. He was screaming. Like, Dad's where mad hell, again. Where the hell is my post hole digger? And he was looking at Tad, essentially thinking, hey, this joke isn't funny. Stop it. Yeah. And Ellen says... You know, honey, Tad's been in here doing homework at the table for a couple hours. I've been sitting here with him. And he gets real upset, real upset. Uh, he's eventually, he's brought himself to the point where he's going to go buy another one. Yeah. Because he's like, I need it. I and it's need like, it. yeah, this is not something that someone could just come up and, like, just walk away with necessarily at, yeah, like, a good no. speed. This thing is, like, 70 pounds. No, at this least. is a big piece of machinery. And so he goes out and buys a brand new one, and he comes home, and there it is, sitting in a tree. In a completely different <laughs> spot from where it was, in a tree, and this is just like what the hell. Something very similar happens with a pair of pliers. He sets them down while he goes to move something. Comes back, the pliers are gone. Finds them a couple hours later in a completely different spot in the ranch. This is all just while he's trying to to mend a fence, and he is just pissed. He's like, I just want to finish this one task. So for th- someone's fucking with me. This and El- uh, this experience and Ellen's experience, they they finally talked about it together, and they both realized, you know, we're not going crazy. This is happening to both of us. We're both experiencing. Yeah. They this. started realizing something was extremely wrong. They started putting all these things together. Like this is strange. So a couple days later, Ellen is going to the store, and what happens is that uh, she's coming back home. She's coming down the dirt road back onto the farm. Or the property, I should say. Yeah. And the the road, like, on the farm, actually to the house is about a half mile. Yeah, it's a long dirt it's road. It's a very long dirt road. And uh, when it rains, it gets very muddy. And as far as I've read, they've learned uh, from a couple different mistakes of going down that road after a big rain. And getting stuck. They've yeah. had to move a lot of vehicles to get things out of there. Um, but anyway, so she's coming home, and another wolf appears. Uh, the same size. She's in her car, and it's... The its back is up to her window, like while she's driving. Yeah, and she's very nervous. She steps on the gas, and it's keeping pace. And eventually, she gets away from it. She is just hysterical, so she goes to the Indian Council, 
and she talks to them and says, hey, I don't know if this is yours, but we've had some problems with this wolf, and it's very tame, it's very nice, but we really want it to stay off our property. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly people owned wolves uh, in this area. And they gave her the craziest look. They were just like, what are you talking about? She was met with just a blank stare, like, um... And they pull out... I need to get my boss. And they pull out these books, and they're historical records. And what they say to her is that the last wolf that was in Utah was shot in the year 1929. Since then, there have been no wolves in Utah. And uh, these events occurred in 1994. It wouldn't be until 1995 when they transplant wolves into Yellowstone Park and Utah. To like deal with of, the overpopulation. Yeah, yeah. To deal with part of the overpopulation problem and restocking wolves into the parks. So this was a year before that happened. So at this point, as far as the people that had lived their lives in the Uinta Basin believed, wolves were not part of their geography yeah. because they weren't there. They said she must have been mistaken. They they th- they like considered the possibility that it may have been a coyote. Yeah. Or something smaller, but she was she got very angry. She was like, That that is not at all what I saw. <laughs> yeah. So this all kinda they're, they're still very nervous. They don't know what to do. Now it's dusk. Uh t- well, sorry. Tom's nephew is in town from the city. Dave. Yep. He is not a rancher, he's a city boy. And uh, he, he needs came, to be learnt. He came to spend a couple weeks with the Gormans to learn about ranch life and just kinda get away. And they're out. Toughened up. They're doing their thing. Uh, It's dusk, and Tom is kind of taking his sweet time because he likes uh, he likes being outside at like you know sunset. It's nice when he sees an RV off in the distance on his property. Yeah, just lights from an RV. So him and Dave, he says, "Dave, come with me." So they start walking towards the RV. As they're getting closer, it almost appears as if uh, it spotted them and it starts backing away. Yeah, and they're they start sprinting at it. They're like going for yeah, it. He's like, "We're gonna get these bastards!" Yeah, dude, Tom is pissed because apparently he had seen these lights before, and he was just like, "Uh, they'll probably leave, whatever." Yeah. Like he'd seen them before, but now he was just like, "All right, these people keep coming back. I need to like deal with this." So he is just straight up sprinting, and as he gets to it, it slowly rises up into the air and goes over the tree line and out of eyesight. And Tom is furious. Um, <laughs> they get back to the house. He's not even like, what the hell? He's like, God damn it. Dave leaves. Uh, Dave's family comes and gets him, and he does not come back because they were so horrified by this event. Um, Dude, Dave didn't even like being out at night. Tom no. would like mess with him, and she's like, hey, we're going to go for a night walk or something like that, and just to like freak him out. Uh, a couple of days later, uh, Ellen actually experienced the exact same thing from the kitchen window. She saw the same uh, RV-looking UFO in the yard, and what she said was it looked like there was a person inside sitting at a desk. And she stared at it, and once this being noted her, it lifted up into the sky and went over the skyline once more, disappeared. Didn't it get out and actually stare at her for a while? Yeah. Yeah, it got out and basically just stared and she felt extremely threatened, obviously, because it's like, okay. So these this family is just purely angry, frustrated. They don't know what to do. And then something even weirder happens. They're sitting outside. Uh, Tom and Ellen are sitting outside enjoying the evening when they see a strange orange light in the center of their property. And it's weird. They're, it's pitch black. 
and when they look through this orange hole, it's blue sky. Yep. So this is the first hint to Tom that maybe what they're dealing with is something extra dimensional, another worldly perhaps. Otherworldly, there you go. Because so, he he doesn't understand what's going on, but something is strange in this hole. Yeah. And so he like doesn't he actually proceeds to actually go and try to investigate it. Yeah, but he walks as up he to it. Yeah, as he like goes up to it, like he's he starts to drive at one point and he's going alongside it and as he's going around it he realizes that it looks it's like almost as if it's a piece of paper and that the um the like change of perspective kind of makes it just almost disappear. Yeah, it and bends he finds the out, light. yeah, and he finds out that the only way that you can really fully see it is from their property. Yeah, you and can only it's see in, like, it from the, a front perspective. Yeah, it's in the night sky and it's literally just a small piece of blue sky that they can see. So as clouds and all. As they're staring at it a black shadow begins to crawl through the hole and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger until finally it appears that it comes out of the hole and lands onto the property and they see the shadow kind of sprint off in the other direction into the darkness and the orange hole shrinks and shrinks and then nothing. Then it's night sky. And it just it disappears. They go in the house. <laughs> yeah, I would probably go in the house, maybe use those locks that came with the house. Pretty handy. They're horrified. There's literally <laughs> extra-dimensional beings just spilling out into their front yard Yeah, and inhabiting their property. And now uh, there is one more thing that I want to talk about, one more experience they had. There's plenty more, don't worry. This is a multiple-episode series. Yeah, we, uh, this is just a, a taste, if you could believe that. We've been like talking just nonstop about this info. but like, I would say the book is the book is like 320 pages. I think we've read like 60 or 75. I'm at, I'm at about yeah 90 pages, and I'm only going up to chapter 10, which is, yeah, page 70. Yeah. Dude, and this, this is, is where it ends. There's a shit ton of info on this stuff. So one day, Tom and Tad... They're out, uh, they're on horseback, and they are uh, gathering up the cattle, and they're kind of moving them around, and a couple of them get away. And uh, so they go to wrangle them. Tom gets one, and then there's another one on the, it's near the edge of a, like a plateau, like on the bottom. So it's not like an, on a risk of falling off, it's, they can't climb up. Yeah. And it's just kind of hanging out there. So Tad turns around, and he's like, I have this one roped up. I'm going to bring it back, and I'm going to come back and get this one. He's he's okay here. 20 minutes goes by, and they come back, and Tad is fucking horrified. The thing, it's chopped up. It's like its butt was cut off with a surgical piece of equipment. It's like, yeah, it's like, uh, like, a, like, a, like a hollow cylindrical blade was just like punched around the anus of this cow. Yes, and it's laying in a canal. All of its insides are taken and there's no blood in the canal. There's no blood surrounding it. There's no blood on the skin. There's nothing. He yells to Tom, and they're looking at it. And this is where Tom, he's done. Tom is just done. He's he like, is, you are messing with my cattle. Tom is Jack Torrance from The Shining at this point. He is just, like, beyond anything of reason. He's furious. and um, All dimensions and no uh, fence post holders makes Tom pissed cattle mutilation uh i do uh, i just wanna, i don't know I, I was trying to i just want to touch <laughs> on work. cattle mutilation a little bit uh it's not necessarily like super important to the story but it's something that i think is interesting and needs to be mentioned so um 
cattle mutilation actually in the Uinta Basin has been reported since the 1960s uh, with other ranchers having mm-hmm. the same problem. Yeah, and they've never found a reason or a culprit as to why. Yeah. And what's interesting about this is it's not uh, – technically it is believed to be of extraterrestrial origin. And it's not like a crop circle because a crop circle is something that with enough time and effort can be done by a human being. Yeah. Uh, cattle mutilation cannot. It is so precise. It is so strange that there is no scientific explanation as to how this works. And um, – this isn't related to Skinwalker Ranch, but I was actually reading this thing about cattle mutilation, and there's a guy who studies these, and uh, what he said, it, it fascinated me. I've been telling everyone I know. Um, he said, in your typical cattle mutilation uh, scenario, there is no indent in the ground. So what this would mean is picture a cow just standing in a pasture, he could be standing anywhere, grass, dirt, whatever. Mm. If that cow falls over, trips, tips over, anything, there will be an impression in the ground because it's so heavy. Well, yeah, cows are... Grass will be pushed to yeah. the side, dust will be kicked up, it'll be there. In almost every single case of credible cattle mutilation, there is no imprint in the ground. And that same thing happened with Tom Gorman. There was no imprint, he was in mud... And it was almost as if someone gently laid the cow back down after taking everything from its insides. Interesting. And there's no explanation. Uh, there's no human equipment that we know of that can be done. Could that possibly be due to the fact that all its organs and blood are gone? It could be. You I don't know. know. It's just a shot in the dark. It's uh, It's strange, though, because, like we said, this time window from when Tad saw it alive and well to when he saw it dead and mutilated was less than a half hour. Yeah. And even under the most pristine circumstances, there would be no reason for something to be done this quick. It'd be impossible. Yeah. That that would be a very uh, quick process. To top all of this off, this one's mutilated. They drag it back. They're done. They notice that one more has disappeared. And it's starting to rain. It's starting to rain really hard. It started to rain uh, while Tad was actually coming back the first time. So what happens here, He, as I've said before, Tom is a tracker. So he begins going after the footsteps. And what he notices is that they don't stop, which is very, very strange because uh, something I didn't know. I guess what's typical of cattle uh, out in the open, when it's raining or storming hard, they typically will try to find a tree or something to like get close to to shelter themselves a little bit because I guess they can't see very well in like downpours, so they don't run. They stand still because they don't they can't move very well. Okay. So this thing is going, and the the feet, uh, the footprints actually start picking up pace. Uh, so it appears that this thing is like sprinting as fast as it can. I would love to see a cow sprint. And Tom is going after these footprints. He's going after them. Same thing with the wolf. They get to a certain part in the pasture, and the footprints are gone. From a dead sprint, they stop. There's nowhere it could be. The cow is gone, out of sight. And Tom never got that cow back again, never found it again. And that was not the only cow of his to disappear that way. Oh, yeah. So as you can tell, just based off of what we talked about already, the Uinta Basin is a hotbed of fucking crazy activity. It's pretty nuts. It's it's uh, 
There's a lot of stuff going on. Tom, everything. Really. Tom and his family have not lived there for a year, and they've already seen a monster wolf. Uh, the wife has seen a monster wolf as well. Uh, cows have disappeared. Uh, one cow was mutilated and drained of all of its insides and left to rot in a fucking canal. They saw into another dimension. Yep. Uh, they saw floating RVs. Ooh, ooh! I do want to talk about this. What? These floating RVs. They look like refrigerators yes. as well. Yes. They are technically a very common UFO. In and the Uinta Basin or just in no, general? No, in, mostly in South America. Hmm. And uh, along with them, they give off these beams of light that kill people. Oh, oh yeah. No, yeah. And um, what they do is it will shine its bright light down, and if that light hits you... You will your skin will appear sunburnt, and you'll have these little red marks all around your body yeah. that are very hard. And then, essentially, not everyone, but a lot of people die from it. And the symptoms are very similar to radiation. Poisoning. Yeah, it basically radiates you. Yeah, <laughs> like your hair falls out, you start getting real sick, like ill. And there's it's nuts. There's one woman that actually uh, survived one of these encounters, and she later died in '98 uh, due to cancer of the stomach. Yeah. So these things are potentially very dangerous, along with a wolf that's potentially very dangerous, and something that's stealing and mutilating cows, which is clearly dangerous. Yeah. So this yeah. family is having a terrible intro to their new property. One question. Uh, so you said the cows are gutted basically through the butt, and yes. then there's no blood. No blood, no would organs. You, uh, would you eat it? Uh, I don't know. I'd eat it. I don't know. I'd have to make it well done, but... Is it radioactive? That's why I'd make it well done. (laughs) It very well could be. But yeah, that is... um, Get your Geiger counter. Get your Geiger. I know that's a little bit shorter than our usual episode, but I think that's a good stopping point for episode one. It's a good intro. To it, just prime y'all It's just a lot to absorb. I know, me personally, like I'm familiar with this. Even when I was reading, I had to go back and reread things because it, it's so much, and it all yeah. happens so fast. Every, like, sum up of this I've ever heard, every, like, just little aspect, there's literally ten times more between every fact I thought I knew. And you guys, you might think that, oh, it can't get anywhere else from here. We have about another 15 years to cover in yeah. this timeline of the ranch. And we're uh, we're looking at probably another two episodes, possibly a third. Yeah, th- it'll be in a, addition to this one. So it's either going to be a three or four parter. It'll here. be a three part series, guaranteed. Uh, potentially a fourth. We'll see. With all the information we compile at the end, I'm I'm not ruling out a part five if we need it. If it Who gets knows, there, it, this is a heavy series. We'll kick it into uh, Speedy Gonzalez mode, and, and it's, just kind of like uh, we'll bide our time. I think you guys do. will find that you'll be glad that we stretched this out and didn't condense any information because it really paints like a picture of arguably the most documented and weirdest paranormal supernatural thing that's ever happened in yeah. the world. Yeah. And it's not one that of these. That we know of. Well, that yeah. we do know of. It's yes. not one of these events that's from like, you know, the 1700s, things like that, where documentation is so limited. I mean, this happened when people had cameras and could record things and interviewed people, and it it just it all compiles into this crazy hotbed of what isn't going to happen on this ranch. Yeah, and you the know? name of it, Skinwalkers, man. They they play a part. They are cool. They, they play are a part. very interesting. The wolf, 
Yeah, probably. that could very well have been a skinwalker, which more than likely yeah. it was. Yeah, one thing that I, I don't think we mentioned, but like you know how you said uh, if someone sees them in their form, they have to kill them because if they see them transform out of it as their human form, if they know the identity of it, basically, mm-hmm. they die. Yeah. So the uh, skinwalker has to kill you before they find out who they are, you know? Uh, what they use for that is called something that's metal as shit. It is corpse yeah. dust. Yeah, the They use something dust. called corpse dust that they blow into your face, and apparently your, like, tongue goes black and you start, like, convulsing. Yeah, you, like, And rot. you eventually die. You, like, rot. But it's called corpse inside. dust. Isn't that sick? Mm-hmm. Badass. Badass witches of the Ute tribe. But, yeah, um, actually, it's funny because uh, there was another tribe that, um, lived in the same area as the Utes. It's, I didn't bring this up, but uh, it's just a little fun side note you guys might like to know. Well, it's been there for 12,000 years. There's bound to be one or two more tribes. And um, when the white people started moving in, they actually banded together to defend the property that was theirs uh, in the Uinta Basin. And then after slavery was introduced, uh, the Utes uh, went against their treaty and started kidnapping these Indians and selling them into slavery. Isn't that a big reason why they think that they are cursed? And that because uh, I know that what made them think they had a bunch of witches, which they later uh, yeah. ended up being like, the okay, the, the witches are the skinwalkers; those are the people. But that was all because of a, a forced march that they were yeah. forced to go on off of their land, and they're like, well, why did this happen? Probably a bunch of witches, right? Yes. And then, yeah. So. And um, some Utes and some historians possibly even believe that um, this other group of Native Americans uh, summoned skinwalkers and put them against the Ute tribe, and that's why they live on this land. There you go. It's a curse. Now, it, it they made a very good point. Uh, there was an anthropologist uh, from the University of California. And he talks about uh, not California. It's somewhere in San Francisco. Isn't that, uh, Salisbury. I don't. I don't Salisbury know. Salisbury steak. It might be that guy. But uh, he he actually brought it up. He studied it, and while he said uh, there's no scientific evidence that proves skinwalkers are real, there's also no denying that the belief in skinwalkers is real enough. And um, he's he knows a lot about the skinwalkers, and as he said. Uh, It'd really be kind of contradictory to this other tribe because skinwalkers are pure evil and greedy and tricksters. Yeah. They're not to be wielded. Like, you can't sick them on somebody. Like, right. If you create them, they just are about all around chaos and bad things. So, if you, it's one of the. It's back to kind of. They're kind of like when we were talking about Anton LaVey and Satanism, where it's like the idea of creating this energy and putting a hex out there. You don't really get to control where it goes. You shoot this energy out, and it does its own thing. It's negative energy. Yeah. So it's the same with the skinwalker. You can't you can't summon it and have it do your bidding because it's an evil sentient entity. So it'll do whatever it wants when it wants. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was a little interesting background into some of the beliefs as to why the skinwalkers might be in uh, yeah, the yeah. basin. But yeah, so this this is part one of Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. They're tricksters. They're tricksters. They are. And dude, I'm excited that we got we finally are getting to this after what was our last episode? Thirty one? Or is it thirty episodes? <sighs> yeah, I don't remember. But this was the original topic that we wanted to do. This is the one that we started. We were just like, all right, we're gonna start a podcast. Let's do Skinwalker Ranch. I'm glad we waited. But now yeah. We needed time to kind of build up our we had to like our fall into our, our own. schedule and our Yeah. 
kind of like our research methods. Uh, actually, I'll tell you what, reading a book, it's strange because I don't like reading. But <laughs> As we discussed it's, last it's week. It's nice because you get the information and then you can kind of cherry pick like what you find good uh, to the story and what you feel like is kind of unnecessary to the story. Yeah, especially transposing it to the medium of uh, a podcast. Right, because, I mean, there's know? a lot of stuff uh, in there that I didn't talk about simply because it doesn't pertain to the ranch. It either pertains to, like, the Ute tribe in general yeah. or, mean, like, the history of, you know, oh, the UFO sightings and stuff. That we'll, We're going to get into all of this weird yeah. scientific stuff in the later part. Yeah, not that it isn't interesting. I mean, you should totally read the book, Hunt for the Skinwalker. It's but, good. Um, not until you listen to the entire series of ours. So wait about a month yeah. and then read it. Because you'll uh, be able to be filled in on all the stuff we didn't uh, cover here. But we're sorry this it's is cool. a day late, but this is a good like Halloween themed episode. Yeah. But if you're a true believer in Halloween, like I am, Halloween does not end. Halloween's year round. That's why we have this podcast. It's true. <laughs> that's, Halloween that's what is the this best. podcast is. But yeah, so there's uh, there's part one for you guys. We'll be back uh, next Friday. Yeah. With part two, uh, much more fresh information for your ears. Fresh. And uh, I. I really don't think you guys are ready for where this is all going to go because it gets crazier. It gets cranked to 11. No, but, yeah, uh, it does. It gets cranked to like 12. Can you believe that? Uh, they don't even have a notch for that. You got to like make it yourself. And this is on a scale of like one to five. It's so. nuts. But no. Anyway, uh, we we are starting a cult. That's that's me and Grant. And, it is. It's and true. an interchangeable uh, population of guests that are our good friends. Yeah, Mitch is here today. Mitch, give us your thoughts. Tell us one thing about this. Uh, my thoughts. Great story. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Shut it off. Uh, here's my thoughts. Bye. No, uh, uh, well, <laughs> I don't really have any thoughts on it. I just think it's crazy. You know, pretty much everything that you guys said. Uh, That's a thought. One thing that, you know, how my thing is, what were the locks for? You know? No one knows. Like poltergeist activity going on? Who knows? Probably like something with the the groceries and like being misplaced or something. Maybe they're trying to like keep them where they put them, yeah. something like that. And I don't know. Anytime I hear stories like this, I just always think of you know, like what what is actually going on beyond you know the reality that we perceive. Bed, you know? bath, and beyond. Exactly. All right. Well, that's yeah. it from All us, right. y'all. Yeah, we'll see it uh, next week. We love you. Good night. Bye-bye. I don't think I've ever said good night, but goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.